Well, hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, here's what's ahead before we go back to the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2017 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando. You'll hear a conversation excerpt from Lacey Buchanan, who is the mother of a son who was born with a rare condition. He was born without eyes. She talks about God's faithfulness in the midst of adversity. Then from NRB 2017, it's author and Messianic Rabbi Jonathan Kahn of the Jerusalem Center Beth Israel in Wayne, New Jersey, commenting on material from a book comprised of mysteries related to the Bible, many related to the Hebrew language and scriptures. I also spoke with Kenan Bridges of Grace and Peace Global Fellowship in Tampa, who offered some insight into the operation of slander in the life of a Christian believer. And on this edition of The Intersection, more highlights from the 2017 NRB convention in Orlando. Sam Sorbo dropped by the broadcast center to discuss a new film in which she and her husband Kevin are involved, a film for the Christmas season that underscores hope in Christ. Then find out how God is using the satellite broadcasting outlet Sat7 to share truth to people in the Middle East. Rita L. Munayer brings some information. Plus, the story of a church revitalized from former pastor of a church in Middle Tennessee, Michael Spurlock, and his wife, Aime, as they talk about God's faithfulness in using a group of refugees from Burma as a catalyst for renewal. Their story will be told in an upcoming feature film. Finally, from NRB 2017, well-known Christian researcher George Barna of the American Culture and Faith Institute, who has introduced the results of a recent survey measuring the percentage of the population and various subgroups who incorporate a Christian worldview. This is the intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Lacey Buchanan is the author of the book, Through the Eyes of Hope, Love More, Worry Less, and See God in the Midst of Your Adversity. In a recent conversation, she shared about the disability of her son Christian, who was born without eyes as the result of a rare condition. She highlighted God's faithfulness to her family. This is Lacey Buchanan. Yeah, you know, we were first-time parents preparing for our first child, and we were so excited. Um, And, you know, we were just, of course, everybody wants a healthy baby. And so, you know, our world kind of just came tumbling down around us when we were told that, you know, Christian had these issues, and um, and it seemed like uh, as the pregnancy progressed, the the news just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so, um, you know, we were trying to hold on to any little tiny bit of hope that we could, and it just it seemed like you know the we just kept getting pounded harder. And um, you know, it, it was uh, the, one of the hardest things that we've ever had to deal with, um, not knowing if our child was going to be okay, if he was going to live, what was going to happen after he was born. You know, we wanted this child and we loved him. And um, so it was a really scary, just uncertain time for us. And tell us about some of the challenges from a health standpoint. I described or gave the name of the condition. There are only something like 50 children that were born Mm -hmm. with this because it is a combined syndrome and it involves the fact that Christian was born without eyes. Right. Yeah. So Christians, um, everybody knows sort of what like a cleft lip and palate is, but Christian's um, cleft doesn't look anything like that. His um, condition caused his cleft to go from the corners of his mouth rather than sort of up toward his nose, and that cleft extended up into his eyes. And so um, it's basically just where parts of his face didn't form. 
Um, so he's, he was left with just uh, missing pieces of his face. Um, his eyes were very small and underdeveloped, so he's completely blind. Um, and he depends on a feeding tube to eat because um, just the, the, the deformation of his mouth was just so extreme that he wasn't able to, um, to uh, uh, nurse or take a bottle or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's uh, fairly complex and, um, and has, you know, caused a lot of uh, a need for a lot of surgeries and things like that. Talk about some of the strain in your home and really how you saw God's faithfulness through the the initial days of Christian's life. Yeah, there is so much pressure on uh, on parents in general, but on, um, you know, the parents of a special needs child, it's sort of magnified. So you're constantly running to therapies, running to doctor's appointments, you're um, juggling medical paperwork, insurance paperwork, um, you know, medical supplies, there's so many more extra things on top of the normal parent stuff. And so it just puts a strain on the family in general, um, on marriages, um, just to, to try to find a balance that's not so overwhelming. And it's sometimes it's almost impossible. I mean, it just is overwhelming at times. And um, so in the beginning, when we were trying to feel our way through and, and learn about, you know, how we were going to find this balance, you know, it was a learning curve and we had to mess up sometimes and we had to slip and fall and get back up. And, you know, but, but through all of that, we have learned so much about the faithfulness of God and how he just stands there with us. And no matter how much we mess up and how many times we do fall, you know, he's right there ready to help us get back up and ready to help us to thrive. I mean, just thrive. I don't, I don't know another word to say, just, just to, be victorious in, in those those challenges. What have you seen as far as lessons that God has taught you through the midst of, of this season with Christian's early life? What have you seen God do really in the midst of that, that season? I've seen God really change, I mean, my heart personally. When Christian was first born, I had a, a season of just being angry at God and sort of asking you know, why, why did you let this happen to me? Why, why would you, uh, you know, sort of punish me with a child with special needs? Why couldn't my child be healthy? Um, because I was a Christian when, when I got pregnant, when Christian was born, I was a, I was a follower of Christ. And, you know, it took me a while to understand, you know, that, that bad things are going to happen in this world, that there will be trouble in this world. Um, you know, but the Bible tells us that, that God has already overcome the world. And so, you know, there was a shift in my heart of going from sort of being angry and asking why to just being thankful that God saw fit to give Christian to me and not to somebody else, because I want to be his mom. Um, through all the hardships or not, I, I would still choose to be his mom. And, and God changed my heart to see him as a gift and to see, um, you know, even on the hard days, to see the, the joy in the midst of, of everything. Lacey Buchanan here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website eyesofhopebook.com. Well, The Intersection continues now. From NRB 2017 in Orlando, it's Jonathan Kahn, president of Hope of the World, as well as senior pastor and messianic rabbi of the Jerusalem Center, Beth Israel in Wayne, New Jersey. In our conversation at NRB, he shared commentary on current events and discussed some of the content he includes in the Book of Mysteries. From that conversation, this is Jonathan Kahn. One of the mysteries in the book is called the mystery of the, the ninth of Av, and the ninth of Av is this. And you may know, you may some some people know, 
when the, when the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, it was destroyed on the 9th of Av. When the first temple of Solomon was destroyed by the Babylonians centuries before that, it was destroyed on the exact same day, the 9th wow. of Av. And throughout Jewish history, you see the, some of the greatest calamities take place on the exact same day. The Jews were expelled from, from England, 9th of Av, from France on the 9th of Av, Spain on the 9th of Av, Holocaust, 9th of Av. Ima I mean, amazing. It's a calamity. But if the 9th of Av is a day of calamity, the 10th of Av is the day of redemption because God, when the Jewish people lose a homeland, God starts immediately working on another homeland so they could survive. Okay, so now listen to this. A few centuries ago, the Jewish people are fleeing for their lives. They're losing their greatest refuge. This land was the greatest refuge. They're fleeing their lives, going to the ships, taken off from the ships, or else they get killed. They're leaving. They, they lost their greatest refuge. When was it? It was on the 9th of Av. But in the same Land, same date, same year, same harbors is our three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria on the same day, ninth of Av. When the Jewish people are losing their Spain, which was their greatest refuge, God is already preparing the next refuge, the greatest refuge, America. The next day on the 10th of Av, day of redemption, the three ships set sail, discover America. America will become the greatest refuge for the Jewish people. And, and not if it's for the Jewish people, it's me, if the Jewish people are blessed, it's for the refuge for everybody. Because if we're, most of us are blessed because our, our, grand, our ancestors found refuge here, that all goes back to the, America's existence. It begins on the 9th of Av. The, the mystery is from the Bible, from the ancient days of Babylon, America. As we close, I mean, there are so many different <laughs> mysteries we could be talking yeah. about here. Years. What would you say would be one of the relevant mysteries out of this book? And I, I know I'm, I'm asking you to choose from a menu of 365 <laughs> That's of them. Right. But for our lives today and looking at the, the spiritual condition of our nation and the church in general, what would be a mystery that would speak okay. to, to that condition Okay. In these days. Okay. Several of the, the streams of mysteries are concerned the end times. And I'll, I'll, I'll just mention this. There's something called the chiasma, the mystery of the chiasma. What's that? Okay. Chiasma is something God does in the Bible where the beginning and the end are parallel to each other, the beginning and the end. So let me, so let me tell you here now the, the prophetic mystery. What it is now is that the beginning of the age, God has set up the age as a chiasma, meaning... The end of the age will parallel the beginning of the age. In the beginning of the age, you had Israel in the world. You got Israel back. You had Jerusalem. You have Jerusalem back. You had Jewish believers. You got Jer Jewish believers back. You had Christians who loved Israel. You have them back. But also you had apostasy. You had, you had an anti-Christian world culture. You're getting that again. So what it's saying is if everything is returning to the way it was at the beginning of the age, then we as God's people must return to how the church was at the beginning of the age. If the dark is getting darker... We have to get brighter. We have to begin become as the book of Acts. We have to live as they lived. We have to stand as they stood. We have to be lights in the darkness. We have to overcome the world. So we, these, this can be, the, on one hand, the worst time, but the greatest time if we will let, us, we will let, the, let it make us great. We must be the candles in the dark. So that, that, this can be our greatest moment, but we have to be strong. We've got to be like Elijah. That's how it has to be right now. Jonathan Kahn here on The Intersection. Learn more about the book at mysteriesbook.com. Well, The Intersection continues now with Keenan Bridges. He serves as senior pastor at Grace and Peace Global Fellowship in Tampa. He visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at NRB and discussed some of the principles about which he relates in the book, Unmasking the Accuser, How to Fight Satan's Favorite Lie. With some insight into slander, this is Kenan Bridges. In uh, Romans chapter 16, 
it says, mark them which cause offenses and avoid them. And the word there is the word scandalon. It's a Greek hmm. word. And it means bait stick or trap. In other words, Satan uses offense to trap believers in a vice and to keep them stuck. You know, I tell a funny story. When I was a kid growing up in Georgia, we had a big basement. And unfortunately, there was a time where there were some rats that got into the basement from outside. We had a really big backyard. And my father had the bright idea to get a rat trap. And he put this rat trap, which was basically a glue base, and you would put cheese, this cheese substance on top of it. Stuff. That's the best way. <laughs> and the rat goes through the, the, the trap and it gets stuck. And it basically, the idea is to suffocate the rat to death or to smother the rat so that after, after exerting so much influence, it actually dies. And what happens is offense is the bait of Satan. It's what the enemy uses, just like a fowler traps a bird or someone traps a rodent. You bait it with something that's appealing. But that animal doesn't realize that it's going to lose its life. And this is the way the enemy uses offense. We think that it's just something that's an emotional thing or a mental thing or something I have the right to do. But what if I told our listeners that it could cost them their destiny? It could cost mm. them their influence. It could cost them their effectiveness in the kingdom of God. And I think that once people understand the nature of it, and this is why I talk about offense brokers. These are people in the church or in whatever the organization are who are always looking for other offended people. You'll find that offended people sort of gravitate toward mm. each other. Mm-hmm. If you have a church with 10,000 people, all the offended people will sit on the left side. You know, it's, it's sort of a magnetic thing. And a broker is somebody that facilitates a transaction. And so when we talk wow. about offense brokers, we're talking about people who are offended who use their offense to cause someone else to be offended. I call that person an offense broker, and our churches are full of them. Um, this is not to demonize them or anything, but it's something we need to identify so that we can begin to walk that walk of freedom that God has for us. So a person may be participating in these types of offense, maybe slander and gossip. That person may or may not be yep. an offense broker, yes. but you have you have people that that gravitate and facilitate and this whole attitude of offense basically just snowballs as you have offended people that start sharing their offenses and you've got you know obviously some some ringleaders at the top that are that are attempting to to further this thing but you can understand how this can cause incredible division in a church and if a church is divided the church can't be what God wants it to be. And if people are participating in these things, they can't be who God wants them absolutely, to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what's interesting is that I went through this. This is a personal thing for me, very personal. Yeah. And the reason why it's personal is because I can remember sitting across from a leader in my church, someone I trusted. And, I'm, you know, if you want to entice a young person in the church, offer them food. I mean, we can't <laughs> resist. So I'm offered food to go out to fellowship. And then it takes a turn and it becomes sort of this negative conversation about leadership and about the senior pastor and about those in authority. And I thought to myself, something's wrong here. Thank God I went, you know, I was able to remove myself from the situation. But that person went on to experience devastation in their personal and their spiritual lives. But what would have been the cost? And see, we don't understand that 
conversations are powerful. Mm-hmm. Many of our listeners will say, well, I don't, I don't gossip about people. I don't talk about others. But my question is, do you listen to it? Are you, are you fertile ground for someone else's offense or someone else's slander? Keenan Bridges here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website, Keenan Bridges. That's K-Y-N-A-N Bridges.com. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website, meetinghouseonline.info. When you visit, you'll find a link marked Meeting House On Demand that takes you to the download center through which you can listen to, download, or share full conversations from recent guests on The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also, including content from NRB 2017. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Well, at NRB 2017, Sam Sorbo visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center and discussed the film in which she and her husband Kevin are involved. It's called Let There Be Light. It's slated for a release later this year. Here now is Sam Sorbo. It's a Christmas movie for Christmas of 2017, so you'll you'll be seeing it around Thanksgiving. All right. So tell me this. I understand that the movie was filmed, at least to a certain degree, not far from Faith Radio Listening Area in Birmingham. It, in Birmingham, Alabama. So how is it that that you and Kevin decided to do something in Birmingham? That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Well, we, uh, we needed a place that played like New York and Connecticut, and we started, and, and that's really sort of up and down the East Coast with the magic of uh, filmmaking. And just sort of through a series of uh, interesting events, we ended up in Birmingham and we found what we needed and we were we just fell in love with the city. It's just beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And tell us about the concept of this film. So the, so the idea behind the film is the world's greatest atheist uh, has a car accident, nearly dies, and uh, has a near-death experience and comes back with uh, sort of a new lease on life and a new approach to life. And... Um, uh, it's a family movie that'll make you cry and laugh and want to stand up and cheer. So, the world's greatest atheist. Yes. That's not played by your husband, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does that job so well. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's got it. You know, obviously, it, it's definitely getting into character because obviously we know that, that Kevin is a believer in Christ, mm-hmm. but, you know, his performance in God's Not Dead, of course, we won't give any spoilers or whatever, but it seems like that you've kind of got a similar storyline here as far as his spiritual journey. Well, I think it is, it, that is the spiritual journey, right? So uh, I don't, we're not, we're not uh, breaking any molds there. That's, that's a, a traditional spiritual journey from disbelief to belief, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, you can't re- reinvent the wheel, really. <laughs> <laughs> But you can tell, you know, personal stories that affect people on an emotional level. Uh, It's a cathartic movie. Uh, It's an inspirational movie. And I'm very excited to see the work that, uh, that it has before it done. Yeah. How did you weave the, the Christmas element into it? Oh, I might be giving too much away. (laughs) Uh, Well, no, you know what? The, the, the name of the movie is Let There Be Light. Jesus came to the world in the darkest time of the year. For a reason, because it's so dark. We're facing a darkness today in the world, and the only antidote for darkness is light. So let there be light. 
Well, Sam Sorbo joining us here at the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at NRB 2017. And that movie is due out in, in I, I would imagine, November? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving 2017. Of 2017. Awesome. I'm very excited very about it. Where can people find it online? Well, find right now you can just go to letthereBeLightTheMovie.com. There's a Facebook page set up, and we're starting to post and sort of get the word out. So we'll be posting uh, pretty soon. We'll have a trailer up, and we're just we're launching the film here at the NRB to uh, to just sort of expose the our Christian media friends to yeah. it, and um, and then it'll be a full. F- a full force effort throughout the United States going forward. Now, is this the first time that you and Kevin have worked together on a film? It's not the first time that we've worked together, but as producers, it's the first time for us. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a new experience and uh, it was fantastic Ah. because I was in charge and he had to do everything (laughs) I said, except that he was the director. And so as an actress in the movie, I had to do everything he said. No, I'm wow. <laughs> so both of you, you, you were both on both sides of the camera. We really basically. were. And we, we get along extraordinarily well. I mean, I, there's no doubt that we were intended to be together. And uh, this, this film only more solidified our relationship. That is awesome. What role does Sean, play, uh, Sean Hannity play? He actually was cast to play uh, Sean Hannity, and he wow, does an amazing am- <laughs> job. He it's is a, so not convincing. Disapp- <laughs> not disappointing. <laughs> but he's also the executive producer he is. of the film. So, so I conceived the idea, and I found a co-writer. And uh, within two weeks, Sean had called my husband and said, you know, I, I want to get into filmmaking, and I want to work with you. And my husband told me this, and I looked at him, and I said, well, that's my movie. And we, we flew to New York and we pitched the idea and he was on board from the get-go. It was really an amazing story of just uh, doors opening, uh, you know, the, the yes word. It was just amazing. And Sean's been amazing to work with. Sam Sorbo here on The Intersection. You can find out more information about her and her book, They're Your Kids, An Inspirational Journey from Self-Doubter to Homeschool Advocate by visiting the website Sam Sorbo, that's S-O-R-B-O dot com. The movie website is letthereBeLightTheMovie.com. The Intersection podcast continues with Rita L. Munayer. She serves as Chief Channels and Communications Officer and Deputy Chief Executive Officer for SAT7 International. In our NRB conversation, she discussed the work of SAT7, which provides satellite programming, including Christian programs, throughout the Middle East. She also shared about the launch of a new educational channel. From that conversation, this is Rita L. Munayer. We get into homes, closed homes in closed countries, and bringing God's love to millions of people. Not just, you know, like the people who are not Christian, because there is a, a huge huge um, uh, majority, I don't want to call it minority, of, uh, of Christians in, in the Middle East, like 10 million in Egypt, 1.7 million in Lebanon. So we're there also to encourage them. Wow. And people don't think about that. In fact, what, what you would commonly perceive out of the Middle East is that Christianity is, is dying, that it is not a positive or a, a prevalent force in that part of the world, but from what, from what I am hearing, that there is a, a tremendous growth of Christianity. People are coming to Christianity throughout the Middle East, and obviously Sat7 is a part of that mm-hmm. in, in bringing the truth to people. Well, uh, people, I would say it this way, <laughs> people are coming to Christ, yeah. you know, because it's not a religion, it's a relationship with God. And it's amazing to see the fast-growing church in Iran. It's amazing to see the fast-growing church in 
Algeria. And uh, yes, the Christians are persecuted, but he didn't promise us better. So they're persecuted and they are, you know, like sometimes live in hardship and other also minorities, not just the Christians. You have the Shia too, you have the Yazidis too. So we try all the time to help people, bring them God's word, uh, the full, this word that is full of hope, full of faith, and try to transform their minds and heart to be uh, according to his will. Because we know that Christianity was born in the Middle East. It was born there. And mm. now to see Christianity dying, <laughs> it breaks our hearts. Oh. And the technology that you use in order to get your messages into these various areas, some of them closed societies in the Middle East, SAT-7, that implies that there is a satellite element. From what I understand, people receive their television programming throughout many areas of the Middle East using satellite dishes. That's right. I mean, um, even refugees. I've been in refugee camps, and you will see, you know, like uh, just uh, people like uh, sitting on the floor in, in a room that has got nothing, not even furniture, but a television set and hooked to a satellite dish. Because you, ha you can buy the satellite, I mean, you pay one payment, $70, and then suddenly you are um, receiving and watching more than 500 plus free-to-air channels in Arabic. So people, and these channels are not censored, they're not, you know, like uh, censored wow. by the government. So you, they, they sit there, it's a source of entertainment, it's a source of education to children, and it also keeps the children off the streets when it's hot or when it's not safe outside. So here we are, we have four channels at Sat7, two in Arabic, one of the Arabic channels, 24-7 children, it's Sat7 Kids, and this is my favorite channel, by the way. <laughs> and then you have Sat7 Pars for Iran, speaking the Farsi language. And then you have Sat7 Turk for the Turkish-speaking people. And all day long, 24 hours 7, broadcasting his love to millions of people who lost all hope in their government, in their future, in education. We're broadcasting his love, we're broadcasting a hope and praying that this hope one day will transform to be faith. Rita L. Munire from SAT7 joining me at NRB 2017. Learn more at sat7usa.org. Well, at the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at NRB, Michael and Amy Spurlock visited with me. He serves on the clergy staff at St. Thomas Church in New York City. Formerly, he is the vicar of All Saints Episcopal Church in Smyrna, Tennessee. They discuss the real-life events upon which the upcoming movie All Saints is based. It's due for a release later this year. Here now are Michael and Amy Spurlock. One of the things that did happen is a, a group of refugees from Burma began attending the church. And through another series of, in, in, well, through God's inspiration, we started a farm with them on the, on the property the church was sitting on. And that began to resurrect the whole situation both in uh, terms of parish attendance, but also uh, to our financial life and addressing the financial needs of the parish. And as I said, we were heavily indebted with the mortgage on the building. And this, this inspiration of a farm is what began to resurrect the whole set of circumstances such that we didn't have to sell the property, we didn't have to sell the church, which had come on the table at some point 
in our journey there. And then we're out in the middle of the, after things had gotten going and we were really laboring under different challenges at that point, uh, but still dealing with financial provision difficulties, uh, needing equipment for the farm that we couldn't afford. Uh, we took this walk out in the wilderness and God struck a rock and some water gushed out that we needed. Hmm. So this farm was obviously a unifying force in your entire community. Now this is a this is a church. I take it you had some some land adjacent to where your church building sat. Is that the church correct? sat on about twenty two acres yeah. of land, seventeen acres of which was bottom farm old bottom farmland, uh-huh. and when the refugees arrived they asked if they could plant some little gardens out there but we the church had entered into a a land use deal with the city of Smyrna Uh, they would maintain the lawn if they could use it for practice softball fields we decided to turn it over to farming or actually the Lord told us to turn it over for farming Uh, and that's another story in itself Um, but that that was the resource that we had at the parish to put to use. So there is somewhat of a story of using what God has given you and turn it over to him and allow him to do his work. And you just, it sounds like to me, you were faithful, you were obedient, and you had the the opportunity to see God do amazing things through just using what using what was available at the time. I think you're absolutely right, Bob. Um, we had nothing. We had nothing to give. I mean, we were a place that was financially bereft. We had no money, but we had this beautiful piece of property, and we had the people there who were ready to do God's will, and we had people who were there who were willing to do whatever needed to be done. So we took all of our time and our talents and we moved them in the way in which God wanted us to work. And I think that was the most wonderful part of the story. We've often likened it to the parable of the talents where the householder leaves a bit of money behind for three of his stewards and then ask them to give an account of what they did with it when he got back. And, of course, one fellow just doesn't do anything with it, buries it in the ground, but the others get a return on the investment. And we felt that God had entrusted us with this piece of property. We were the stewards of it for the time that we would possess it in the history of this piece of property, which had been there since the foundation of the earth. (laughs) But for a time it became ours, and we had to put it to use and see what what return we we would get on this. And, And what return it was was an abundance of the love of Christ, an abundance of safety and security for a group of refugees who had made their way to us, new life for a struggling congregation, uh, the breath of the Spirit blowing through the community in a way that it had never happened before. So these are the sorts of the returns that we began to receive 
just by being faithful to what God asked us to do. Michael and Amy Spurlock joining me at NRB 2017. Learn more about the film by going to the website allsaintsmovie.com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's George Barna, Executive Director of the American Culture and Faith Institute. He related information about a new study, the Worldview Measurement Survey 2017, dealing with worldviews. It measures the degree to which Christians and the population in general possess a biblical worldview. Here now from that conversation is George Barna. Now, you mentioned that this is based on 40 questions that were asked of the survey respondents dealing with not only belief, but also action, being able to gauge how this belief contributes to to action that's informed by that belief. So as you began to ask these, these questions, what were... What were some of the areas that you were seeking responses in? Well, for instance, if we think about beliefs, we were asking about stuff that we would probably consider to be Theology 101. This isn't 607 kind of stuff. This is Theology 101. You know, what is the nature of God? What, you know, what do people believe about the nature of God? Do they believe that he's involved in our lives today? Uh, what do they believe about creation uh, what about the Bible? Is it something that can be trusted in all of the life principles it teaches? Uh, heaven. Can a person earn their way into heaven by being a good enough person? Did Jesus sin while he was on earth? You know, is Satan real or just a symbol of uh, evil? So it's these kinds of questions, not stuff that people say, oh my gosh, I need to call a theology professor to figure this out. This is what we probably all learned as kids in, in uh, Sunday school. But you know, if we get that and then we can convert that into biblical behavior, that's where the rubber meets the road. Well, we have been setting up now for the past few minutes the the survey and the methodology, and I guess we can prepare our drum roll here <laughs> with respect to some of the numbers. We've, we've talked about how the numbers were acquired, but let's talk about some of these actual numbers. What did you find? Well, across the country, uh, we, we put together this thing that we call an integrated disciple score. An integrated disciple, in our way of thinking, is somebody who has integrated their beliefs into their behavior, and the combination of the two results in a Christ-like lifestyle. And so an integrated disciple is somebody who's put those things together and wants to live like Christ, i.e. a disciple. They're following Christ. And so what we discovered is only 10% of American adults have a biblical worldview. Hmm. Now, that's different than the kinds of numbers that we had previously, because in prior studies we had fewer questions, we only asked about beliefs, we required that everybody get a perfect score, we had a smaller national sample size. So the, really the two surveys are not comparable. Right. And you say the 10 percent is the that's basically all of the population, not necessarily the Christian population. Not just born-again Christians. Now, if I look at born-again Christians in our current national study, they represent about 30% of the population. With that 30% who are born again, 31% have a biblical worldview. And again, this is not people who call themselves born again. We ask them what they think will happen and after they die. If they say, after I die, I'll go to heaven only because I've confessed my sins and accepted Christ as my Savior, we classify them as born again. So it's that group. And you used the same criteria, basically, that you used 
throughout the years? That we've been using for about 35 years or so now. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and again, we're talking apples and oranges because what we were referring to a few moments ago from the 2006 survey showing that 9% of Christians possessed a biblical worldview, but that also required a perfect score out of the survey exactly. respondents. So there's a little bit of, there's a grace element here <laughs> in this new survey. But again, this should not be interpreted as saying that necessarily that Christians are growing in their applying a Christian worldview perspective to their lives. No, and let me put it in in a not perfect context here, <laughs> but if we looked for how many born-again Christians had a perfect score in this new worldview study, two-tenths of one percent. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So grace is a good thing. Grace is, <laughs> grace is a good thing. George Barna here on The Intersection. Learn more at the website culturefaith.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website, meetinghouseonline.info. There's a link to the broadcast center marked Meeting House On Demand. Also through the site, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.